Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. I want to start uh, first, uh, before we really get into it, I want to start, if we could just uh, take a moment and pray. Uh, There were some bad storms this weekend that hit uh, western Kentucky, and so we're going to pray. I know there's even people um, in our community that are from there, uh, have lost like workplaces, and so um, we're just going to pray together if you want to pray on your own, but I'll pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to, um, yeah, whatever needs to be done there, whether it's um, help, physical help, monetary help, but we're going to ask um, that God would bring peace to what sounds like just a really difficult situation um, and like a lot of loss of life. So uh, would you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, we ask right now, um, God, would you bring peace to a, a literal storm? God, would you bring peace to the families that have lost homes, um, especially families that have lost loved ones? God, we pray for... Um, Western Kentucky, and that they could heal well, and, um, and God, would you even show us what we can do in um, Ohio, and how we can help, but Lord, we ask for your peace to fall on that area of our country right now, as they are just going through um, a really new and tumultuous situation. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, well, good morning. Uh, I saw, and if you've been here a while, you probably saw a lot of new faces here this morning. I think they're all here for our guest speaker, um, which is fine. I'm not jealous. Um, I've actually, I've been trying to make this happen for a long time, where she would come and teach, and her speaking fee is just way too high, and so we couldn't (laughs) afford her for the longest time, but finally negotiated her down. Um, And if you don't know her, this is Catherine. She is a worship leader here. Also, we know each other pretty well. We've been roommates for the last nine years, and uh, we're married. Married for the last nine years also. And um, we are, <laughs> this is fun, we are, um, we are in the midst of a series, and I asked if she would teach this middle one. But before that, I just want to show you guys something. Like, this is the key to your new building that you own. Um, like, we've been praying for this for a really long time, and, um, and a lot of prayers have gone into this. And so... This is really exciting. I know Stephanie just talked about it, but I just want to say again, like Christmas Eve is going to be so fun. I'll walk you guys around the building after. You'll get like lost in it because it's like really big. <laughs> and, um, and I'm just really excited. I'm so thankful to the Lord that he has provided something that we like, we didn't just want, like we needed, like we were going to be homeless in a couple weeks um, as a church. And so uh, I never want to forget, my brother called me yesterday and I guess he didn't really know much about it. <clears throat> and I've been in it so much. He's like, um, how much did you pay? And I told him. And he's like, how big is it? And 35,000 square feet. It has a basketball court. And all he could say is, how? How? I mean, he was almost like accusatory. Like, how? How did, you, how did this happen? And, you know, I start to explain the negotiation process. And then I'm like, actually, you know, it seems like the Lord's actually just in this. Like, it seems like the Lord, of course, cares for his church. But the Lord actually cares for city church. And he's moving in our midst. And so... Um, that's how. Uh, and I'm so thankful that, yeah, we have a new home. So 
Anyway, um, we're in the middle of a series, Christmas series, and today we're talking about how God draws near in waiting, and so we're going to be in Luke 2, and Catherine's going to read the passage for this morning. So it's Luke 2, 22 to 25. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, being Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. So we wanna dive this morning into this phrase, the consolation of Israel, or said another way, the comfort for Israel, the relief for Israel. And so we're gonna look at the Old Testament and I really can't think of anyone better to walk us through lengthy and detailed and dramatic Old Testament history than Chris. (laughs) You're gonna make me blush. Uh, Well, like a third of my messages, we're going to start in Genesis 12 because I believe, and most scholars believe, so much of the New Testament is an outpouring of a few promises that God makes in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant. One of them is, and one of the big ones, is in Genesis 12. So for like a few minutes, we're going to dive deep in something that God promises Abram, later known as Abraham or Father Abraham, and he had many sons. (laughs) Many sons had Father Abraham. If you didn't grow up in church, that's not that funny. If you did grow up in church, it's still not that funny. But, uh, but Father Abraham, and, uh, and here's what happens. So God is starting his plan in motion to reconcile the world back to himself. And, and we see it starting really as soon as sin hits the world. But really in Genesis 12, he identifies a man, a couple that would one day be a family that he's going to bring his reconciliation through. And so that is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So much of the New Testament comes out of this right here. And he's promising this to a couple that uh, he's 75, she's 65, and they have no kids. And they're about to leave the only land that they have. So they're uh, a childless couple that are nomads. And here's what God promises to them. And we're going to count three promises, one covenant. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he says to this nomadic, older, childless couple, uh, I'm going I'm to give you land. I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. And then all peoples, all nations are going to be blessed through your descendants. And God makes this covenant around like 2100 BC. And right after that, not much happens in the way of this promise. I mean, Abram has a kid, and then he has a son. And then they have 12 sons, but there's no real fulfillment immediately to any of these three promises. And so this family and this nation is just kind of left waiting for 450 years. And then we read in Exodus 1 that uh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, looks at this once-fledgling family and says, man, they've gotten really numerous, and they're really scary and uh, there's a lot of them. We should do something. And it seems like he's identifying not just a small family anymore, but this, this is now uh, potentially, like, this is a great nation. This is a nation we should be aware of. 
So for 450 years, none of the promises are moved on. None of the promises are fulfilled. But it seems like Abram's descendants have become a great family. A long time of waiting, 450 years. But they get past that, and then they go, and they finally get out of Egypt. And this is 250 years later. It says in Joshua 21, the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their ancestors. So 450 years, we've got a great nation. 250 more years, and finally we've seen the second promise fulfilled. And so things are starting to speed up, right? You've got two out of three in you know, about 700 years. Um, and then everything comes to a grinding halt. At least there's not any movement, or there doesn't seem to be any way that this third part is going to happen. And that's what... Israel was waiting on. That's what this family-turned-nation was waiting on. And uh, the musician, Meatloaf, he says two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) But that doesn't apply to divine covenants because you're waiting for this third part, and this third part's like the big one. How are all people going to be blessed through this family? And so you wait another 400 years after the original 700. And you finally start to see someone who maybe could be the answer to that. His name's David. He's a king, and he has obviously influence over this nation, but it seems like he's actually been giving favor over other nations. And God pretty immediately tells David, David, this isn't you. You're not, you're not the fulfillment to this. He says in 2 Samuel 7, there's actually coming one after you. It's going to still be through your line. I haven't forgotten. There's still through your line, but it's not going to be you. And he says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. And I talked about this last week, so I know it's review, because you always remember everything I say. But uh, what kind of dynasty, what kind of lineage goes forever? No human dynasty, no human lineage. And so, again, God is re-upping his promise. There is coming one that's going to bless all nations, and it's his line, his kingdom, his throne is going to be established forever. But we're back to waiting. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. All of Israel is waiting for this consolation. They're waiting for the third part of that Abrahamic promise to come true. And, uh, and you've been here before. Maybe it's different. You've been, like, hungry before. Because <laughs> the worst part of this waiting is there was no promise of when it was going to come true. It's like when you go to a restaurant, and uh, you can tell the hostess is newer, and she hasn't quite been trained on, like, how to estimate time, so she just says, uh, it's, it's not going to be long. But you're, like, hungry like hangry, actually, and uh, in 10 minutes in, you're ready to rain down fire on that 19-year-old girl (laughs) because she said it won't be long, and there's no understanding of what not long means, except this is even worse because there's no promise, and, and you could solve your problem. You could go to McDonald's, and I know a lot of people like to act like they don't love McDonald's. Everyone loves McDonald's secretly. You guys, whenever I talk about it, some of you roll your eyes. Everyone secretly loves McDonald's. You could solve this problem by going somewhere else. They can't solve this problem. This is an unsolvable problem for humans. And they're waiting not just for the redemption. If it's just about them, it's one thing. But this is their kids. They're waiting for their kids' kids. They're waiting not just for their nation, but other nations. And they're actually waiting for something even bigger. Because they know... As a Jew steeped in old covenant promises, they know this isn't just the consolation of a nation and a blessing of people. They know that there's something deeper that they're waiting on. Because before the dust even settled 
in the Garden of Eden, before uh, God even like moved on and before they got kicked out of the garden, God starts to lay out some of the consequences of sin entering the world and there's fracture being between God and man. And he says in Genesis 3.15, he says this to Satan, the serpent. He says, there's coming a man that's going to walk on this earth and he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. And a lot of scholars think this is the first time Jesus is condemned to die. And he says, there's coming a man, and he's going to destroy you, but you will hurt him. He's going to destroy your works. And so everyone's waiting for this consolation because this consolation is more than just a nation getting redeemed. It's the destruction of the work of the devil. It's the destruction of death and sin in the world. And so you can kind of feel this anticipation. We're going over 1,000, 2,000 years now, and they're waiting for this, and so many righteous and devout people have been waiting, and they've been praying, and they've been asking for this final promise to pass. And it seems like, being a part of ancient Israel, waiting is part of the game, but waiting uh, is still part of the game for us that follow Jesus. It's just a natural thing that all of us have to go through. And so before we get to the consolation, I think it begs the question, how do we wait well? Like, what does good waiting look like for us? And I think we can learn that from Simeon's story. So we're going to go back to Luke 2, Luke 2, 25 to 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So Simeon, from the context and some of the language later on, we learn that he's probably an older man, um, an older gentleman, so he's waiting years and years for this promise. So we want to look at what are the things that he's doing as he's waiting. First thing I think we see is that he is righteous and devout. Those are like the two words that are used to describe him. So righteous, meaning he's observing God's laws, he's an honorable man. Devout, meaning he's faithful, he's devoted to following God. And if there's only two words to describe him, he is probably known for this. Um, this is something that he would have been living out day in and day out. Um, and he was getting prepared for this day that was promised by the Holy Spirit. So I have run one marathon in my life and probably will never run another one uh, because of that experience. Uh, but did I wake up on race day and decide, you know what, today is a great day to run a marathon, to run 26 miles? No, of course not. <laughs> you don't do that unless you're crazy. Um, I decided months before that I was going to run a marathon. And so I trained, I had a running plan, I had different workouts that I would do in between running. I bought new shoes because that's what you do when you sign up for a race because it's really motivating. Um, I ate a lot of carbs because that's what they said to do, but then it turns out that's just the normal amount of carbs that I eat, but I did <laughs> eat a lot of carbs. And so that, I did all those things so that when race day came, I had the strength, the stamina, the past record to back up the race and actually like complete the race. So in the same way, being righteous and devout, or other language, being honorable and faithful, it's not something that we just wake up and decide to do one day. These are things that we do over small, intentional, intentional daily steps towards the Lord. That's good. 
So in our waiting, whether it's days or years, I don't want to miss and I don't want you to miss the small steps that are right in front of you, that are right in front of me that we can take now. I think the second thing that we see from Simeon's waiting is that it, he was in the temple. He spent time in the temple. And two conclusions we can draw from this. One was that he's worshiping God. Two, that he's in community. So worship, the temple was the main place of worship for the Jews. So we know, like, if he's known as righteous and devout, he is worshiping God. Um, and in our waiting, how can we worship God? In your waiting, how can you worship God? And I think an easy and rel relatively good practice to do is to think on the past. What has God done in the past that I can praise him for genuinely now? Not only will that help us to praise him with an authentic heart in the midst of it, but it also reminds us of God's character, of how he came through in the past, how he was faithful in the past, and then we can translate that faith to our current situation and say, okay, God, you were faithful here, you were good here, you were kind here, even though it maybe looked different than what I thought. So I can trust that right now, this waiting, that doesn't make sense, I can trust your character. I lost my place. <laughs> um, okay, yes, okay. So then the second thing we see is he is in community. So he's in the temple. That's where the Jews would have worshipped, so he's in community. So back to the marathon. It's race day. It's May 1st, 2016. Chris is there. My sister and my brother-in-law are there to cheer me on, which was so kind. It's in Orange County, California. We lived in Vegas at the time, so I was like, I'm going to run a race in Orange County. Like, that sounds much better than the desert. Um, so I'm running. I start the race. I'm running along the ocean, the bay. There's these boats. There's beautiful homes. And it's like, this is awesome. I can totally run 26 miles. And then it kind of like turns halfway, and there's a big industrial park, and cement, and buildings, and asphalt, and it's just like not the scene that you want for your 26 miles. Um, and at mile 16, I make a mistake. I decide, you know what, I've run a lot. I deserve to walk. Like, I can just take a little break. And if you're a runner, you know, like, once you start walking and then you start running again, your legs are so much heavier, it's so much harder to run. <laughs> so I'm thinking in my head, I have 10 more miles to go. How am I going to run 10 more miles? Um, so I'm thinking this. Then at mile 18, I pass my family that's there, and my sister, she jumps in and starts running with me. So we run mile by mile by mile, and then we get to mile 25, and even Chris jumps in, and he is super perky and energetic <laughs> and smiley, and it's the closest I've come to punching him in the face. <laughs> it was way too much energy for our 25 of 26 miles. But he calms down. We run. I cross the finish line. I complete the race. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> And I know, I know that if my sister hadn't jumped in with me at mile 18, I would not have completed the race in anywhere near the time that I did. She was encouraging me along the way. And this is what community does for us in our waiting. It encourages us when we are ready to quit. It reminds us of the truth when we can't think clearly. And it tells us to keep going. 
So we can be righteous and devout, we can worship God, but if we aren't doing it in the context of community around us, I think we miss out and our, it makes our waiting more difficult than it needs to be. Amen. Uh, the last thing I think we see from Simeon's waiting is that he is listening for the voice of God. So the Holy Spirit both reveals to him that he won't die until he sees the Messiah. He and the Holy Spirit moves Simeon that day to go to the temple when Jesus is there. And from his character and from the story, we really don't get the impression that Simeon is frantically looking for Jesus and like trying to make things happen himself. He trusted that if God spoke this promise, that God will also deliver on this promise. So in my waiting, I often can try to like figure out the next five steps and I'm like, what is God doing here? Oh, maybe he's doing this and like put the pieces together myself and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that does that. But what if I or what if you trusted God in the midst of waiting and we rested in the confidence that he carries? How much freer would we feel? How much more peace would we feel if we just rested in that? So Simeon, he's righteous and devout. He's worshiping. He's in community. He's listening for the voice of God. And these are all disciplines he's doing as he's waiting, mm. as he's waiting. He's not catching up for this big moment that's been promised by God. Um, he's already there. And I think often we can assume that we'll get it together after we get what we want or after we hit this big milestone and I have more time, I'm going to get my life together. But the model of Simeon is that he trusted God and he lived from that place of trust before God moved. That's good. So back to scripture, verse, verses 28 to 35. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So we see Simeon's waiting is complete. Like the moment that's been promised by God has come to fruition, and God has fulfilled it. And then we see Mary and Joseph, and I imagine like the weight that they must have felt in that moment. They're holding their little baby boy, and there's all these prophecies that are said about him, like really big things. Some things are encouraging, some things are scary. And I wonder if Mary, when she's looking at her son, Jesus, on the cross, and he's dead, and then the guards come and they pierce his side, if she's remembering these words spoken by Simeon, and she can take encouragement in the fact that this is actually going according to God's plan. So Simeon waited his own lifetime for fulfillment of promise, um, and his waiting, it was just a small part of a waiting that Chris went through for 2,000 plus years. We look back at the promises of Messiah from Genesis to 2 Samuel to all these other ones that we didn't go into. And there's a much bigger story at play here. There's not only so many people that were faithful along the way, but there's a God who is faithful. He's faithful to bring comfort to his people through his son, Jesus He's faithful to fulfill his promises. 
And in our own waiting, whether it's days or months or years, um, we can be confident no matter the ending, even if it's different than what we're hoping for, that God will be faithful. So Simeon finally gets what he wants, or he gets what he was promised. And uh, oftentimes in waiting, we assume that we are Simeon, uh, when sometimes we're actually just Simeon's parents. Simeon uh, specifically was promised that he would get what he wanted, but if he was uh, righteous and devout, we have to assume, based on how families operated, man, I bet his parents were righteous and devout too. I bet they were waiting on the consolation of Israel. And if Simeon was an old man, I doubt his parents were still alive. And so we don't know the names of them, but they were righteous, devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, and they didn't get what they were waiting on. They didn't get to see the promise of uh, Abraham come true. They didn't get to see the consolation of Israel. And uh, we talked about this last week. We're really digging in this series to what is God's promise and, and even starting to unpack, like, what are the promises that uh, aren't necessarily for us? Or what happens when we want something that we're not promised? How do we wait for that in the midst? And here is what his promise is. This is what near is all about. Is his promise is presence. He promises us his presence. He promises us his presence when we're in sorrow, when we're in waiting. He promises us his presence when we're in joy. And in the midst of waiting, we often can spend a lot of time asking a couple questions. We often spend a lot of time asking the question when or how. When I believe God's asking us to ask the question where. So in the midst of waiting, and maybe this is just me, you can tell me, but in the midst of waiting for something, how often do we ask the Lord when? God, could you just, if you could just tell me, like, when is this going to happen? God, I, I, I'll wait as long. I mean, it doesn't, I won't even ask another thing of you. If you just tell me when I'm going to get this, I promise, like, you won't hear a peep from me. Or um, maybe you're in the car and you're like, God, you don't even have to, like, audible voice it. You can just, like, have someone honk if it's going to be less than a year, right? <laughs> You're negotiating with the Almighty. Um, is this just me? Or, uh, or God, you, uh, you love parables. Man, Jesus, you told some great ones, actually. You don't even have to tell me plainly. Just give me a puzzle to solve. And just tell me, when are you going to give me the thing that I want? Or, if it's not when, we often ask how. God, this looks unlikely, and so um, I don't need to know a whole lot. Just if you could give me, let me in on your plan as to how you're going to have this happen. Because it doesn't look great, and so, um, and if you, Lord, I know you're super busy. If you need some ideas, I, ha you know, I just want to slip these across your table. Here's how I think you could get this done. And, and we go back and forth, and God, would you just tell me when, or would you just tell me how? And it seems like what waiting looks like, what waiting will looks like, is all of the stuff that Catherine just pulled out of Simeon's life, and it looks like leaning into this promise that God gives us, which is where. In the midst of waiting, asking God, where are you? Lord, where are you? You said, Lord, in Matthew 1, you said that you are Emmanuel, you're God with us. Lord, where are you in this situation? Lord, you said, and you can start to remind the Lord of this. God, you said in Hebrews, you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, where are you? Father, I, I just remember reading in Romans that you said that there's nothing that can separate re me from your love. Like, where are you? And you can start to remind the Lord of his promises because guess who you're really reminding 
when you're reminding the Lord of his promises. Yeah, you're reminding yourself. God's memory is fine. Um, ours is shoddy at times. And so you start to remind the Lord of his promise of nearness, and it starts to actually do something in your own soul too. It starts to maybe ignite a flame that's been extinguished through years of disappointment. When you start to remind the Lord that he said he would be near to us in moments of hurt or in waiting, it starts to remind your soul, oh man, maybe he'll do it again. And it starts to bring a little bit of hope back to you. David does this all the time in the Psalms. You can read all throughout the Psalms, he's reminding God of his promises. And I don't think David actually thought God forgot, but it did something to his soul. In uh, Psalm 42, David, he actually starts to like preach to his soul. He's, ta- he's writing this. He's writing this to his soul. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He tells his soul, soul, put your hope in God, that you may praise the Lord, my Savior, and my God. And so the promise that God gives us in the midst of waiting is his presence. It's a promise that we can take to the bank. It's a global, it's a general promise. It's not just something that God gave to this specific person. This is a promise that's for all of us, that he draws near to us in moments of hurting and in moments of waiting. In Isaiah 40, uh, 29 to 31, this is, I think, the best passage I could find for like, man, this is so what the Lord does. This is this general promise. He says he gives strength to the weak, And he gives power to him who has little strength. Even very young men get tired and become weak, and strong men trip and fall. But they who wait upon the Lord will get new strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weak. And God says his promises, but when you wait upon the Lord, he gives us new strength. When you wait upon the Lord, he gives us strength in the midst of waiting. So we shared this a couple weeks ago, but we recently found out we are pregnant, which we're so excited for. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I did not expect that. Thank you. Um, And we've been waiting for this for five years. Uh, So the first year, month by month, no pregnancies. Um, And one morning, this is the fall of 2017, then... I'm going through my morning routine, um, and Chris can attest to this, that I would brush my teeth, and then I would immediately go outside to our patio and check on my seedlings, my little sprouts that I had planted. I wanted to see any of the progress that they made overnight, like looking at the leaves that they had grown, the stems that had gotten longer, and I had planted parsley and kale and Brussels sprouts and cilantro and mint. And this was the best time of day because our apartment faced north, so our little patio only got morning sun. Um, and so they're, they're in their best time of the day. They're in the sun and in these like little gardening analogies that come to my mind. The sun is always equivalent to the Lord's presence. So this is, this is their, their time. They're basking in God's glory. <laughs> um, and so I'm just looking at them seeing, wow, they're all like doing really well. Everything's growing well, except for um, the mint. And I had read that it's slower to sprout, um, but this was like weeks after I had planted it. And the normal germination rate is maybe like eight to 10 days. 
So I'm like, this should be growing by now, but it's not. So I move on. I'm journaling. I'm talking to the Lord in my head. And I kind of tell him, I'm like, you know, like this has been a hard month with infertility. Um, I feel like mint right now. Like this is a good depiction of my circumstances. Um, There's no reason that this shouldn't be working. Everyone around me seems to be having kids and getting pregnant just fine. Um, Like why do I have to be the mint and nothing is growing? Uh, So I move on in my morning and um, I look over later at the tray of, they're all in this little tray. Um, and the sun had moved because, you know, it moves from east to west. And so now the sun is only hitting just a little corner of the tray. And I look closer, and wouldn't you know it, the only part that's in the sun is the mint. And like I said earlier, for me, the sun is equivalent to the Lord's presence. So I knew, I knew what the Lord was saying to me in that moment. I knew he was saying that I get a special closeness with him right now in my emptiness, in my brokenheartedness, in my sadness that I would not get otherwise. Um, Because he's near to the brokenhearted, he saves those that are crushed in spirit. And in that moment, I genuinely did not want to trade my circumstances. Mm. I was so content um, because I felt so strongly like in spite of all the heartache, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. There are things I'm learning about the Lord that I wouldn't know otherwise. I get this closeness with him that I wouldn't know otherwise. And I look back on our five years of waiting, and this was the thing um, that was the best part. It was this closeness with Jesus. I mean, we, we traveled to Europe. We traveled everywhere. But still, by far, the best part of the waiting was the closeness with Jesus. Um, And now I wouldn't trade it. Like, looking back, I would not trade those years for that. Because closeness with him is actually better. It's actually better than anything else. (laughs) Um, So we're going to end, like we did last week, with a live testimony. So I'll invite Samuel up right now. But after that, we're going to go back into worship. And I want us to worship with faith and hope. Um, And these are things that I actually don't think we'll have in heaven because our faith will be made reality and our hope will be realized. So we don't need them. Um, So they are only available to us now on earth. And when we worship, we can worship God with expectancy in our waiting, that he is faithful, that he will be faithful in your circumstances, and that he is so worthy to put our hope in.